Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show, guys. It is Monday, July 20th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and joining me in just a couple minutes will be my lovely intern, Loviana, tonight. Hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. Things were pretty low-key and warm here in beautiful Northeast Ohio, but doing well overall, didn't really do too much, stayed home most of the weekend. Um, we have a great show for you tonight. It's Musical Monday, which means we always start off with a special Monday Music Minute by one of our special correspondents. Tonight we have Zach Day, of course, you know from The Voice this year on Team John Legend. We talked two weeks ago, uh, he had uh, tested positive and contracted COVID-19. He was sick as a dog for a couple of weeks, feeling much better. And I appreciate all you guys that reached out to him. As I asked you to a while back, he loved all the get well messages. And he is feeling better. He went back to work today for the first time. But uh, we're lucky to have him on. So he'll have his Monday Music Minute in just a couple of moments here. And then we have two great interviews tonight. The first one's going to be a live interview with an amazing singer and songwriter, Kisos. He's killing it with a little quarantine, quarantine on Twitch. He's been interviewing and doing some great songs, uh, reviewing different songs from different indie artists. So that's kind of cool. And then up next, I have a pre-tape interview just the other day with Rhett Madison out of Los Angeles, California. She's originally from right up the street here in West Virginia. Beautiful voice and probably the one of the best laughs I've ever heard. I love making her laugh. She's so nice. So a couple of great interviews today, but let's go ahead and bring Lovey on and let's see what's happening in the world out there in Radioland. <clears throat> Lovey Anna, how are you doing tonight? Hi. I'm great. How's it How going? I'm pretty good. Um some music since Music Monday has been keeping me busy. Stuff to look forward to in the world of, nice. of Yeah. For instance, You're... the wait, what? No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say like the former Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks, just released their first album after fourteen years, which was basically my entire life almost, but nevertheless <laughs> I was super excited because yeah, they haven't been doing much for the greater part of my 20 years, but yeah, so it's pretty good. Their new album, Gaslighter, is insane. 
Yeah, I kind of like that they're just the chicks now. They took out the Dixie, and they're just the chicks. Very, very cool. I have not listened to the music. Actually, I got a link to it. Um, When they first announced the new name, I got a PR um, mention from one of our good friends that sends us over a lot of uh, our guests. And, yeah, the music was pretty good. I only heard the one song, though. But everyone just loving that. Um, Do you know their controversy at all, I guess? Um, I know, like, the older stuff, like the George Bush, like, angry he's from Texas thing that went Right, down. exactly. <laughs> so they kind of got all this grief at the time from, can you imagine if they were Trump Republicans back then? George W. Bush Republicans were tame <laughs> compared to these days. But they oh, kind of, uh, they were embarrassed by some of the war stuff that George Bush was doing. And basically mm-hmm. got booed off the stage like permanently for these 14 years. Um, their, right. their music wasn't being played on radio and all that. And I just can't imagine in today's Trump world what would be happening to them. But good for them for coming back in the middle of it and kind of giving a big little fu to them and bringing coming back. I think that's very cool. And being woke, getting rid of the Dixie part as everyone's getting rid of the Southern references. So that's just another yeah. little poking the eye to him so i think that's kind of great yeah you're a big music fan you like the music don't you i remember that's why you wanted oh, to yeah, Monday so night. what's what's some of your big influences in music that you really like listening to what's uh i ask the questions a lot of my guests all the time for five questions with what is the hit songs on your playlist right now and what is a guilty pleasure maybe on your playlist right now you know, lately it's been a lot of One Direction, and it's kind of funny because I didn't, I wasn't like a huge One Direction fan when they were a thing when I was like in middle school, because that was like the cool thing to be into, and I kind of wanted to stay away from that, but lately, <laughs> like, I don't know, it's like 10 years into One Direction being a band, and now they're not even a band anymore, and that's like all I was listening to all weekend, it was just like the best song ever, and all of their classics. So that was like my guilty pleasure. I like it. Very, very cool. What do I have on my radar? There's not too much. I mean, we want to keep in the music vein. I guess uh, Madonna revealed this weekend that she owes a million dollars to Russia for breaking their anti-LGBTQ propaganda laws. Russia is like really strict against LGBTQ. And so you're not even supposed to, stick up for it. It's illegal to even speak in favor of the queer community. Uh, So she was there in 2012, I guess. And she basically, at the end of her concert, said, now I'm here to say that the gay community and gay people here and all around the world have the same rights to be treated with dignity, respect, tolerance, compassion, and love. Are you all with me? If you're with me, I want to see your pink armband. I guess there's a lot of people in the crowd that had little pink armbands, and so she was fined a million dollars from Russia and basically said, you're never going to see the money, Russia. Sorry about your luck. So I guess she may not perform there again, but uh, oh, wow, I thought that was kind of pretty cool music-wise. And other than that, there's not too much going on right now on my radar, so I guess we should probably jump in. Anything else you wanted to bring up today while I have you on the phone? No, I'm all good. All right, well, let's go ahead and bring up our special correspondent, Zach Day, with his Monday Musical Minute, direct from Nashville, Tennessee. 
Loviana's running the boards and running the studio today, so Loviana, let it hit. Whenever you're ready, let's listen to Zach. Left of straight listeners, thank you so much for checking in on me over the past couple weeks. I was really sick with COVID, and so I'm super glad to be back. You know, I just want to put out the reminder to continue to social distance, wear your masks, do what you have to do to, you know, stay stay home as much as you can. Um, and encourage your friends and the people that are around you to to do the same because you can be as careful as I was and still get it somehow because it's so easy to catch. And I'm just lucky that I didn't get, you know, super, super sick to the point where I had to go to the hospital or anything like that. So, yeah, I'm here, I'm back at it, and I'm super glad to be back. So thank you once again. All right, let's get to some cool music. You know, it's been a while since I've been on here, so I've been listening to a lot of different music, you know, amongst other things. You, you know, playing Stardew Valley and, you know, all these little video games on my Switch because I'm trying to get as much use out of that thing as I can. I paid enough for it. Um, let's see. What have I been listening to? Past couple weeks, I have been on a Radiohead kick, you know, I do love some good old rock music, and Radiohead is just so freaking cool. So I'm always trying to find different songs that I haven't heard yet or different albums that I haven't listened to. And I've listened to a lot of Radiohead in my life, but recently I just went back and listened to OK Computer again and been keeping that on repeat. And I think the reason that I really started going back and listening to Radiohead again was because... Another one of my favorite singers, Leanne LaHavis. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned her on here before. She just put out um, a new album, and she covers Radiohead's song on there. So I was like, oh, yeah, Radiohead, obsessed with them. Tom York, we love. So I I had to go back and and listen to them again. So I would encourage you, if you haven't gone back and checked them out in a while, to do that because it's a journey, and it's so beautiful and just masterfully done. I was watching Suspiria. I've had to. I've watched it several times. I love it so much. And Tom York from Radiohead also composed the music for the soundtrack to that movie, and it's just so stunning. Um, one of my one of my favorite people, Tom York, as far as music is concerned. I've also been. I went into a um, used book and record store the other day. Of course, after I was cleared to go back out in public, and um, there was. A lot of different CDs that I bought for my car. I have a little CD player in my car. Sometimes I like to keep like random CDs around just just in case. And it's kind of like a, a nice little thing, a little collection of mine personally. And I found so much gold in there. I, I got a couple different Bjork records. Um, and I got a whole record, Aldous Harding. I mean, to find all these CDs, Kate Bush, like for like a couple dollars, I was like, okay, that's a steal. So I did spend quite a bit of money over there, but it was um, definitely worth it. So I've just been like going back and listening to all these albums that I've been thinking about and that have just stayed in my, my mind for some time. Um, I went and listened to Love Angel Music Baby by Gwen Stefani, another one of my musical heroes. Um, I guess you could say, really, I, I love her and it just, it holds up. Okay, let me just say that. It holds up the songs are bops 
I wish that people would give it the credit that it's due. Okay, it's such a good record. Gwen, always on the forefront, and we love her. Um, there's this guy, Will J. He has this record that just came out. I don't know if everyone knows who he is yet or not. I mean, he's very popular, but he's just, like, so cool. His album is called Perfectionist. It's really pop. It's really... Um, the lyrics are just really, really... What's the word I'm looking for? They tell a story. They're descriptive, but they're still relatable, which is, like, obviously what I try to do in my music, too. Um, but his stuff is just really fun, really great. I, I encourage you all to check it out. Again, that's Perfectionist by Will J. I listened to the whole album in one sitting and was just like, I love this. So great. He's an amazing singer, too. I've also been listening to Shamir. Shamir is a really cool up-and-coming artist. Um, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say up-and-coming, but on the forefront, making really cool stuff. I love Shamir. They have a lot of really great songs out and just released a new single called On My Own. So I would encourage you guys to check out Shamir, an LGBT artist um, that really deserves to be lifted up right now. And the music is just great. I think they do it all from their home um, and have been doing it for a long time and have been really putting out great music and putting in the work. So go check out Shamir, especially the song On My Own. And the music video is so cute. We, we love Shamir. I think that's really it. Other than listening to podcasts and playing my Nintendo Switch, um, that's been pretty much all I've been doing over the past few weeks. I've been really trying to just chill out and rest as much as I can, um, you know, while I'm recovering from being sick. And I'm just so lucky, again, to just have the opportunity to be on the Left to Straight show and check in with you guys. And also, I'm just thankful that I made it through... Um, pretty much unscathed, hopefully. I mean, I'm still a little bit nervous. Like, I I get anxious thinking about potential long-term effects and stuff like that, and I'm just in this kind of alone, so it's been scary, but um, I think I'm going to be okay, and I'm really appreciative of everyone for checking in on me. Um, thank you so much, Scott, for having me on. Of course, as always, I'm going to be here to support and continue to be there for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and everyone in between. I'm so grateful to have a platform like this to speak on. So thank you so much. And now let's get back to the left of straight show. See you guys next time. Thanks Zach. That's Zach day, Nashville, Tennessee, the voice with John legend you got to check out his YouTube channel and his music. It's so great. And he does those music videos where he's like, does all the parts and harmony on it, does the split screen on it. It's freaking awesome. All right, guys. Well, we are going to get this show started in just a little bit with our first interview in just a couple moments. Kisos is up first. And then the uh, second half of the show, we're going to be talking to Rhett Madison. But let's start with a little song by Kisos. This is he didn't want me. You're listening to Left of Straight Show. We'll be back on the other side with Kisos. Be back in just a little bit. If he wanted me, he would have told me. And if he loved me, he would have shown me more. If he wanted me, 
wanted me to be happy Wouldn't always have to be asking For a moment of his time I forced something that wasn't there Ignored the sign you didn't care Cause when you kissed me I believed it Until you met me at the park Looked in my eyes, blew up the spark Admitted that you'd never feel it Always have to be asking for a moment of his time. I asked everyone to help me see what didn't he see in me? How did he move on so quickly? They said all words of wisdom made that be. Honestly, he didn't seem to care enough to keep on fighting. Reflect on there sorry about that guys we are back that was he didn't want me by my next guest kisos he is amazing new york city based musician right now he has his own music pr firm that he founded and most importantly he is a self-described hyper queer bish which i just love in our lgbt community he's been killing it on twitch lately with his Quarantine uh, streaming that talks all about today's independent music, which I absolutely love. So let's welcome and get him on the show for the first time. The handsome and talented Kisos. Kisos, how you doing, buddy? Woo! Thanks for the lovely intro. I'm doing great. I feel pumped now. There you go. Well, you are a lovely human being, my friend. I've been enjoying getting to know your music. We have to give a big shout out. To our buddy Matt Kai up in Canada yes. for introducing us, and I am glad he did, my friend. Yeah, I'm. I had no idea, and I mean, seeing all the artists that you have on, it's like perfect. I love. I'm excited to listen to everyone else on today and stuff. Well, you are killing with indie. I mean, I've said this through my show a long time. I was never a music person until I started doing the show five years ago. Mm. Just never that into it. I was a TV and movie guy the play mm-hmm. guy and the musical guy. 
But I started doing this show, and I've just fallen in love with our queer artists out there. There's so many great representations from every genre. It's got to be fun to do your show. Um, it's yeah, you find it's been cool. Amazing like, people. It's been cool discovering so many. I mean, even as queer artists, sometimes I feel like you know you don't know how many people are out there. It's hard to find at first, but once you start finding a few, it's like the floodgates open, and you're like in this huge, beautiful world of LGBTQ plus talent. And yeah, quarantine has been amazing. Just like you said, you know, finding all the talent for your own show. It's been great just connecting with people all over the world, all these different genres, showing that, you know, we can be all these different things. Nice. Well, I want to jump into that a little more in just a bit, but let's start with a little background. Yeah. You know, like I said, you're in New York City now. Um, how have you been holding up? I mean, we talked off air. You guys are finally getting good and COVID-19 and be able to get out there in the world. Have you been kind of putting up with this? Has this been a real creative time for you? Has it been an introspective time or how have you been doing the last couple of months? Yeah, it's, um, it was honestly a pretty smooth transition for me because like you mentioned, I have a PR firm. I've been basically working from home since um, like the early 2017 is when I started my firm. So I was used to some things, but I think no matter what, it's kind of a big, a big drastic change for anyone. But it, I definitely <laughs> had an easier time adapting to it. I was used to live streaming too. So although I wasn't necessarily making that much new music, um, I was able to still feel creative. And I was finishing up this, this new EP um, with the help of some very talented, lovely collaborators. So luckily I was, I was pretty equipped for everything. Definitely scary outside, but I, I was fortunate to uh, – to be acclimated. There you go. As long as you have a good Postmates account, you're good to go, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You can make it <laughs> Very cool. Although Let's actually, I've about... been cooking a lot at home, but, you know. Nice. What do you like to cook? Lately. Uh, what do you like to cook? Uh, lately, we've been obsessed with falafel. We've been making a ton of homemade falafel, which has been fun. Otherwise, I was getting really sick of it because it was, I don't know, it just feels like, even if you're making, switching it up, it was like over time. So it's like, oh, my God, I'm just tired of cooking. I'm just tired. Everyone's tired. Exactly. Even though we're at home, it's still tiring, you know? That's the way I was. I was cooking like a beast for the first month, month and a half. But I yeah. just got over it. It's like, and I think it's more that it's, it's always been for me. I love to cook, but I hate the dishes. I think that's it for mm. most people. <laughs> and I hate yeah, that amen on that too. So it's just. If I had to wash one more dish after cooking, I was just over it. So I, I understand right. that. <laughs> What's keeping exactly. with the background? Talk about where you actually grew up and what kind of a kid were you growing up? Um, I, was, I feel like I was a pretty similar kid. I was a kid who was always kind of like screaming and dancing. And I mean, I knew how to be quiet too. But, you know, I just like to have a good time and be goofy. And I came from a really, I still come from a really loving family, supportive family. So, um, yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area, California. It was really diverse. I got to have really a picturesque childhood for the most part. Um, you know, growing up in like a cul-de-sac with kids my age and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I started in music just in like elementary school band and would kind of sing to myself, but I was shy to sing in front of anyone. And then over time, once I got like way older in college is when I went into gospel choir and I really started exploring my voice more. And then after graduating, I started posting some YouTube covers and playing around with things. And eventually was like, I think I want to try to do this for like real, for real. 
Nice. I love that. And what was your kind of go-to jam early on? What were you listening to when you first started getting into music a bit? It definitely changed. As a kid, you know, I was kind of just like listening to whatever my parents would let me listen to. <laughs> but once <laughs> I once I got a car and I could like drive myself to school and, you know, especially once I went to college, um, I was listening to a lot more of like R&B and soul and discovered like Jasmine Sullivan and, you know, Adele was coming out around that time. I've been coming out with music, not uh, of the closet. Uh, <laughs> but before that, Oh, we're back. We're back. We just lost the very beginning. So it's like you said before that, and then we lost you for two seconds. You're back now. Oh, okay. I'm in the I'm in my only the only room in my apartment that gets service. So I'm like, please don't get me out. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I was saying my sister kind of she was very counterculture, very like anti pop music was like the cool thing was to be, you know, alt and stuff. So she also introduced me to a lot of cool people like Fall Out Boy before they were big and Motion City Soundtrack. And so it really was like a huge mix of genres for me. Nice. I love that. And like I said in the intro, you identify now just a hyper queer bish, which I love. Talk (laughs) about, though, your original journey. When did you kind of first come out to yourself and where did you first find your LGBTQ tribe? Yeah, I, um, well, so, uh, overarchingly, I say queer because it's easier, but, um, more specifically, I identify as, like, bisexual or pansexual, and that was honestly really confusing growing up because I was kind of like, okay, I know I'm having crushes on girls and, like, fantasies about girls, but how come he's cute, too? Like, am I gay or what's up? I remember, like, taking those quizzes, like, late at night, like, am I gay? And the quiz (laughs) would be like, here's a quiz chances are if you're taking this quiz you're probably gay and then but it was confusing you know I was in a long-term relationship with a girl my first relationship that lasted almost five years and I was super happy and um, I think it was you know more around the end of college where I was like okay I'm definitely like in love but there's definitely something else going on and there weren't really Mm. bisexuality wasn't really a conversation it was more of a thing of like gay guys pretending to you know maybe saying they're bi to soften the blow of being gay or something so i was i was very confused in that for a while but luckily i I come from actually a a pretty queer family my mom is also identifies as bisexual as does my sister so i didn't necessarily know that growing up but like later you know there were hints here and there and um so yeah once i finally did come out to Myself and my girlfriend was actually the first person who I really told, and she was honestly really supportive, too. We broke up for, for other reasons. Well, you know, that kind of added a conflict in the, just the sense of me being like, do I want to go my whole life without ever being with the guy? But overall, it was right. honestly, I was really fortunate to have a, a strong support group, although I, I didn't necessarily have as many gay friends until I really moved to New York and started making more friends, period, and, and trying to trying specifically to find that Maybe you cut out this time. No, I think you did. Uh, that's all right. One of us did. That's all right. We'll get through it. We're getting through it. I like it. <laughs> We're working. <laughs> We're working it. All right. Well, very cool. I like that journey. Um, yeah. And then, especially, what what was the impetus to go to New York City? I mean, San Francisco, um, Seattle, Portland has a different music scene from L.A. What made New York City the destination for you? 
Yeah, I, I'm from, like, pretty close to San Francisco, and I worked in San Francisco for a year after college, and it, I just felt like it wasn't the city for me. Also, it's, like, the most expensive city in the U.S., so right. when we were looking at where to move, I was like, I literally, you know, I kind of looked at like Seattle because I had family near there. I looked at L.A. because I had family near there. And I looked at New York. And a part of me was like, well, if I'm going to make a, a pretty big move no matter what, might as well make the biggest move and go all the way across the way. And um, luckily, my roommate at the time, we were kind of like quitting our jobs at the same time. And we were like, well, let's just move together. Let's do it. So we did that. And uh, yeah, it was kind of just to try to do something new, but I don't know if I would have done that without him as my support, support group there. Right. Yeah, no, that's important. What did you find? How did you find the city when you first go to it? Cause like I said, I'm from LA area. I brought a lot of friends to LA. People usually either love it or hate it. And it usually takes a year or so to yeah. get acclimated to LA because it's so different. How was your foray in New York? Did you kind of adapt pretty quickly? What did you think about it at first? Um, I, I, it feels like a distant memory. I think the fact that I don't have a terrible first deck is a good sign. I, I know that right. LA isn't necessarily, yeah, I was like, I, I know LA isn't necessarily, I wasn't excited about living there. I definitely came to New York with an open mind. I was lucky to find like a job within the first month so that I could kind of, you know, support myself. And uh, overall, it was, I think I was just, because it, everything I was doing was so new, like I didn't study music in college. I studied international relations and German, and I was studying foreign languages, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with that. And um, so when I moved to New York, I was, you know, got my first music job at a music PR firm and was meeting all of these people and going to all these shows and just taking it all in. So it was definitely a stressful environment, you know, getting acclimated to a new job and industry, but Overall, I think I kept my head up pretty decently and just, you know, stayed at least optimistic in the sense of like, okay, I like maybe I like my current job or my current this or that, but I like New York as a whole. I like the opportunities that are here and I want to keep exploring it. That's how I've felt for the last almost six years now. That's awesome. And talk about the impetus for starting your own PR firm. I mean, you you know that you're musically inclined now. Is it, does it came out of necessity for promoting yourself and people that said you're doing great? Can you help me out? Or did you was it for a stepping stone from your other PR job you had, or how'd that come about? Yeah, definitely more of a stepping stone situation. When I first moved to New York, I wanted to get a job in music. Like that was my one and only criteria. So I happened to get a job at a music PR firm or an internship at first, which was definitely unpaid and illegal. But, you know, I was like, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to make no, no waves right now. I, I need what I need. Um, and um, luckily had some savings to cover that until it turned into a job. But, um, yeah, once I was doing that, I was like, oh, wait, this is really smart because I don't have to ever hire a publicist in the future. I know how to do this. And the job was right. so stressful at that company, but I liked the work. Like, the, the, it was kind of a toxic work environment and overworked and underpaid and all of that. But I liked the essence of PR if it was pure and we weren't, like, exploiting artists. Um, I was like, okay, I really would like to do this, and um, especially focusing on LGBT artists and POC artists and being able to, like, uh, things more and, you know, give discounts and just have more leeway. So I was lucky to um, 
get a couple clients pretty soon after I started. I had a couple clients and, you know, it wasn't enough to pay rent at first, but within a couple months of those first clients, I was getting a few more referrals and it was slowly starting to work out. Um, and then, like you said, I also had a new press for myself and, you know, everything kind of building that resume more and more. So I just wanted to work for myself because I've never had a job where I liked the boss or, well, not that like, <laughs> I don't want to be too rude, but it's just, I've never vibed with the environment. So I was like, if I can take this opportunity, let me try it. And if I crash and burn, I can get a real job, quote unquote, in a month again, if I have to, you know. There you go. I love that. And what have you found to be the hardest kind of nut to crack in getting artists recognized out there? What have you kind of had to learn the hard way in in navigating the PR world out there for music? The hardest thing, honestly, for me was just being nicer to myself with all of it because, you know, there's there's so many places to pitch, but there's so many artists that are making amazing music out there. I mean, you know yourself, mm. weeks full of interviews. Right. Color. So pitching your own music, whether you're a publicist or just a musician, it's hard to not get down on yourself because you're, I used to joke that my job is just getting ghosted for a living because you're sending email <laughs> after email and no one's responding. And it doesn't mean that you're bad, but you know, it's just, you got, it's just legwork. It's, you know, connections that you try to make. So reminding myself of that and, you know, that nothing's going to be the perfect campaign, but also letting artists know and be like, just because, you know, we're getting some decent press, but just because it's not at the level that you want or that I want, because I want the best for them too, it doesn't mean that the music isn't good. A lot of artists will kind of, you know, I want to stop everyone from like developing a complex because I kind of developed a complex after pitching my own music and getting so many, so many rejections. I'm like, your music is good. Don't worry. Your music is good. It's a marathon doing this promotion game. It's so much work. It takes so long. So it's just staying motivated, doing what you can, when you can, and, you know, being nice to yourself. That's great advice. I love that. Thanks for sharing that part of it. Yeah. And then talk about uh, this live streaming now. You said you kind of were familiar with it before. Were you, were you mm-hmm. always using Twitch? Were you on another platform? Talk about how uh, Quarantine came about. Yeah, so a quick background of streaming. I started in January 2018 on Twitch because I've always been like a video gamer and uh, uh, my roommate was just like the same one I moved to New York, but he was like, you're always like screaming and, you know, laughing and you're a funny person. I think you'd be a really good live streamer. Like you should try it. People can make a lot of money, which is true. They can, but it's also like, so it's like trying to make a lot of money as a musician. It's a lot of work, but I was like, okay, let's do this. And um, <laughs> after a few months of just doing gaming stuff, I started doing music on there and, you know, suddenly went from like 30 monthly listeners to a couple hundred with, you know, these new audience that had come in. And I'm like, okay, wow, this is really something. And then once COVID happened, you know, I was, I was shooting pretty regularly, doing pretty well, you know, pretty decent. But once COVID happened, I was like, okay, what can I do that's a little different? Because there's so many people that were like messaging me and like, ooh, I want you to like sing more, do more concerts, do more stuff, live streaming. And I'm like, what can I do that's different from what I already do so I don't get bored? Also, like, can help people, add some value into right now, help out other artists who are struggling. And um, a friend of mine who's also a musician, Corey Stewart, him and I were originally working on like a live 
tour thing, and he was like, maybe we could okay. do something digital. And I was like, well, I don't really want to do, like, a live show, but maybe we could do, like, a showcase. And I think I just had, like, a couple of friends that were happened to be releasing music videos that weekend, and I was like, maybe I'll put this together. So we did, and we ran it for 15 weeks, where it's basically a showcase of 10 music videos by LGBTQIA artists from, you know, across the whole spectrum of gender, sexuality, identity. And, um, yeah, we would, you know, try to get people to follow the artists and, you know, watch the video, comment, subscribe, all of that stuff. So it was, like, really engaging and building real community. I couldn't, like, offer payment because I also wasn't getting paid or whatever. And Right. <laughs> so I was trying to balance that out where I'm like, well, I can't pay any money because I'm not making any money. So, yeah, it's more of just, like, focused on community. I think of it kind of as, like, a press, you know, like top ten video roundups type of thing. So it's a lot of fun. Right. There's been artists who didn't know each other a couple weeks ago, and then, you know, after being on the same episode, they released a song together. And I honestly never expected that to happen. So seeing how much it has affected people and how much people miss it and are waiting for it to come back and, you know, the collabs they're doing together has been really unreal and really cool. I can imagine. That's awesome. I mean, as I said, I've got so many artists that's come on this show now, and I always wonder why I don't see more. I mean, you see it at Pride every year but I never see like a queer build act going around the country or anything. And there's mm. some great musicians out there. You'd think if they pooled their talent and their resources, that would be some amazing concerts. I'm going to turn into a promoter. I've said that for yeah, the last no, three years now, but I'm going to do that. I was going to say, that's literally the reason why my friend Corey wanted to do it. He was like, we need to just start getting out there. Like he lives in Canada. I'm in New York. So he was like, we'll do a little Northeast tour. We started, you know, contacting artists that we thought would be a good fit and then right then COVID happened but um, yeah it's just it's really crazy how many artists are out there that the mainstream has no idea about that indie has no idea about and we have to like you know beat down some of that stuff to, to build our own platform and, and push ourselves in front of the mainstream audiences because you know a lot of the powers that be won't do it for us Exactly. And every genre has been represented. I mean, I had like four weeks in a row mm-hmm. of gay country artists, which I just never thought of gay male country artists who I would not yeah. think of like for some reason. It's just, more... Yeah, exactly. Every genre is being represented. Now, I love part of your show. I mean, you try to create this judgment free zone on Twitch, which I absolutely mm-hmm. love. Talk about your goals for your channel and for your show. Yeah, I always want to be. I don't want it to be like reviewing or comparing, you know, for me, quarantine, like I said, it's so community focused, especially at this time when people are really like going through it mentally, like even if you still have a job right now, it's still just a stressful time. You can't see your loved ones. There's so much going on. So at the beginning of each episode, I remind everyone like there's no negativity allowed. You know, if, if you have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But most people don't come in with that attitude. They come in with an excitement now and, you know, they're looking for what are the things that I love about this artist, that I love about this video. So I always make sure, you know, that, that people are excited and in a mindset of support and, you know, discovery instead of like, well, it would have looked better if they did this or that, or that's nice, but how about, you know, no room for that. Right. And on top of that, Twitch and the internet in general can be, you know, there's a lot of bullies out there, homophobes, all of that type of thing. So 
you know, I make sure I let my community know, like, someone might come in, but we will block them immediately. I have, like, a team of moderators, and, um, you know, they're, they're friends of mine, and they're people who are just as committed to creating a safe space for us as I am. So it's just a nice, happy corner of the Internet for at least two hours a week. Uh, where, you know, you can discover some new artists and just relax and, you know, possibly or like talk in the chat and, and hang out, whatever people feel like. Oh, I love that. And I love that you've kind of planned that far in advance. I mean, I had, I have capability of taking phone calls on my show and chat room and I've tried it a couple of times, but you get those little wackadoodles that'll sneak through mm-hmm. and you're right in the middle of an interview with a great guest and it's like it slows the whole flow down. So I yeah, applaud you for doing it and everything because it's tough sometimes. Yeah, it's like, you know, they can be distracting or they, like, take the guests out of the mood and all of that. But luckily on Twitch, that's that's a pretty regular – well, I should say it's regular to have moderators and stuff. So, you know, right. even the viewers, the regular viewers on Twitch, you know, they're always very – the community you build will always protect its own community, you know? So because I talk about a welcoming environment and that's all I allow, the community only allows that too. So it is nice. I love that. And like you said, you've just been building and growing. You have over 2000 listeners or subscribers now talk about, Mm -hmm. are you starting when, when people start finding these kind of outlets, you get a lot of submissions. Are you getting a lot more video submissions now? Is it turning into a job going through these every week? Or how is that part of it, the business behind the the, the non-paid business? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a lot of work. That's why I'm actually – I was like um, – I was, you know, planning to do it weekly for kind of the whole year. And then I was like – let's do seasons. <laughs> so after the 15th <laughs> right? week, I was like, yeah, it, it was, uh, it's a lot because, you know, there are these certain weeks where maybe I didn't get enough submissions and then I'd have to, you know, run around looking for artists, maybe trying to research new people. I always try to keep the show really diverse and balanced between, you know, like ethnicity and gender and stuff like that. So, you know, I would always kind of, I, I put a lot of extra, extra work on my plate to make it you know, as diverse as possible. And yeah, so there were some weeks where I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, let me find this person. Let me find this person. Um, let me find someone new. Oh my God, no one's respond. I just kept posting like calls of like, I'm looking for more people, <laughs> more people, people. And yeah, so it was a lot. I'm actually the same friend, Corey, who kind of inspired it. We're, we're working on um, finding sponsors for the next season to hopefully be able to like hire someone to take some of that off of our plate. Um, but yeah, so it's a lot to manage. I mean, I I didn't expect it either, but and I even, you know, automate it as much as I can with like submission forms and stuff, but still it's like making the flyer each week, posting the flyer each week, prepping the host, doing the show, doing making the clips of it for promo later, doing the reruns on YouTube, doing all of that. So I was definitely spending at least like ten hours a week on it. And it was worth it, but I'm like, Okay, I need a break. But we'll be back in uh August ninth is our season two premiere. Nice. No, I hear you, brother. I mean, I started when COVID started, I kind of decided to step up because my show's always been two days a week for five years. First five years I did okay, it, but when wow. COVID stepped up, everyone was really looking for content and everybody was home. I talked to people, entertainment foodies and authors, and no one was going to bookstores, restaurants, or movies mm-hmm. anymore. So everyone that I talked to was home. So I went to five days a week in mid-April, and yeah. it's just a job all of a sudden. 
And thank <laughs> right, gosh I have Lovey's in the studio now, and I found some other great interns, or I would have been, like, pulling my hair out and be half bald by now because it's crazy yeah. time. Some stuff. Five days, I do two hours of shows five days a week, so it gets kind of crazy. I, I know exactly where you're coming from there, my friend. Right, and just we'll like that's about, just the on-air hours too, you know, all that stress of the line. Exactly. I applaud you. Well, well, thank you. It's not for that. Just I understand your work. That's for darn sure. Yeah. Well, talk about. Let's start getting into the music a little more. Your own personal music. You also we had Pride Month. You got to participate in Pride's uh, inside the virtual event there with our buddy Z Machine was one of the ones on there. Glass Battles, mm-hmm. who I love and haven't interviewed yet. Talk about that experience. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I've never performed for any Pride event ever, like not in person or so. Having the opportunity this year and actually have like Pride reach out to me, really, it felt amazing, you know, because I feel like as an artist, when you're coming up, you're like, how does everybody get this stuff? Like, when am I getting to the point where I'm invited to be a part of something and yeah it was it was really cool it was really nice to put something together and you know just meet some new artists you know I put some of them on some of them I had already known and had them on quarantine there were a couple more like someone named Julia Jade who I really liked and I was like oh we'll put her on like next week so yeah it was it was it's just really nice to see that people were still putting on events and and different things to to keep pride going even though it was pride inside you know, so yeah, it was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of the things I really like about quarantine. It's, I said it a couple times on here. It's such an overused word now, but you're really seeing authenticity coming through on all these live streams when artists are kind of putting their music out there, and you mm-hmm. see them at home, and you see the work behind it all. And I think it really shows the artisticness of the artist. Uh, of having to put all that together and, and that's yeah. I really imp- I love seeing some of these streams everyone doing it from Broadway to fitness people to things like you did for Pride it's been an amazing use of the technology so I really enjoy that quite a bit mm-hmm. let's get into your album my friend The Sweet Nothings amazing just came out how are you, how, how's your feeling of accomplishment you got to be so proud of yourself I mean sounds like it was a tough thing to go through but you got to be pretty accomplished yeah, it was it was such a long process to make this EP. So I released my first EP in February 2018, but I went through the breakup that this current EP, Sweet Nothings, is about in summer 2017. So I was going through that and like you know like getting my feelings out, not even trying to write music about it, but just like you know just just getting it out of my head and trying to process things. And you know, the first I had to release the other music, and then I was like trying to find out how to make the news trying to find I usually did all my music completely on my own before that, produce, mix, all of that. And mm-hmm. um the song Happily Ever After, which we'll be playing later, um <laughs> it was <laughs> I was like, this has the potential to be a hit. I know it does. I wanna find like a pro producer. I wanna make this like spend my life savings and just help this take off. So that came out in early 2019, and you can see now it's summer, and the EP just came out. It's only five songs. So it's like, what took him so long? But it was just a long process of, you know, going through those emotions, balancing regular life, balancing, you know, new relationships and all of that stuff. But it feels really good to have it out. It feels really good to – I feel like even though it had all of these delays, 
it was kind of meant to come out right now. I'm a very, like, hippie person, so I believe in, like, Sydney in those ways. So I feel like this is the time it was meant to, to come out. And the response has been really amazing. Um, it's been cool seeing people's reactions to some of the songs um, and the surprise reaction to some of the songs. So, yeah, it's, it's always a great accomplishment to have this music out. And, um, yeah, I, I am very glad it's done. Uh, so I'm tired of holding on to those songs for the last three years, but it was uh, it's definitely worth it. Well, you should be very proud of it because it is, I love, I mean, the thing I like about EPs, and you know the music business probably more than anybody right now, how it's changed so much and become just, mm-hmm. let's release a single every three months. But EPs and albums really tell a story um, yeah. when they're executed correctly. And that's what you've kind of done through the five stages of grief through these songs, I love that type of a structure. How did that come yeah, to you, and you. what's the um, what's the been the response to it? Yeah, it was kind of an accident, honestly. Like I didn't set out to write any of these songs really, or to have them be an EP. But I was just kind of you know going through the breakup myself and going through the emotions and writing what was in my heart. And I looked back at the songs after, and I was like wait, they definitely, I can clearly see how they match up to each of the five stages of grief. Maybe that would be like a cool, I already wrote the music, might as well, might as well use it, you know? So I was like, right. that would be a, a cool concept. And it's a really cool snapshot of, you know, my journey through breakups. And, you know, that's one of the most relatable things in the world is losing a loved one. Well, losing a loved one, I mean like a breakup, but, you know, anything that you're grieving with. So, um, although it's more specifically about romantic grief, um, yeah, it, it just felt really right. And it was kind of interesting making it because I wrote them all a while ago, but then when I went to like produce them and started collaborating with a couple other producers and friends on it, it took on other forms. Like the song that represents the depression stage is called I Still Remember. And it starts out like, you know, kind of slow and ballady, and then like a later chorus, it's like kind of like a bump in beat. And I was like, I didn't plan for this, but <laughs> it, it happened. So yeah, I think people have really resonated with that, uh, with the concept of the EP, and um, it's also put into greater perspective the singles that I released before. Now that they can kind of feel the whole journey, I think it they feel a, a, a deeper impact to all of the music. Right. Well, I want to talk about that, too, because there is so much emotion. And we opened up with He Didn't Want Me, and it's just so powerful, especially at the end with those kind of real tears feeling through. How is it mm-hmm. like to have to, as you said, this is three years now, you're reliving this memory. Are you able to detach yourself now after three years, or are you reliving this memory each time you're you're doing the next incarnation of this? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, at first when I was making the songs and, and, you know, maybe talking about the singles and interviews and things, I would kind of have some of that emotion come back up and stuff. And the, the crying on, he didn't want me. I recorded that in November of 2019 and released it in December. And, you know, that was, like I said, over two years after the breakup, I didn't expect to feel anything while I was recording it, but there was just a moment where I was listening to it and all of it. And I just like, 
just felt that weight come over me and I cried and I was like, Oh, let's include this, make it extra, extra powerful. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a little marketing move there. Um, a little, a little capitalization on my own emotion, but um, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely, um, it was definitely a lot. I'm definitely over it now. It's, but it's taken a long time. I mean, it took me a long time to get over that breakup. It was the first time that I was kind of the one broken up with and it was like a really one of those relationships that burns super hot, but also was like, you know, kind of not good for you. So mm, I think it was right. a, a big, a big, uh, a big loss for me that I had never experienced before. So it took me a while to cope with it, but um, I'm definitely moved on now and able to look at it more from a certain perspective. But when I perform those songs, play them, I can definitely still put myself back in, into that moment, into that mood, and, and feel it if right. I want to. Gotcha. And one of the things I love about albums is always the cover art, even CDs. I love the drawings that you're using, and even for some of the singles yeah. I've seen you've used etched art. Talk about um, the artistic expression behind it. What kind of draws you to the art? So to speak. Yeah, so actually the my first EP and the second EP, the art was done by me, which is surprising because if you've ever seen me draw anything, it's absolutely unrecognizable from, you know, whatever <laughs> I was drawing. Um, but I did take, so my first EP, Voices, has a drawing on it, and that was actually something I did in my senior year of high school. I took art one, and I actually really liked the design, and then that kind of inspired me in the second EP. I was like, maybe I could draw something else. And I really love these drawings. They're called blind contour drawings. And what it is, is you look at what you're drawing, but you don't look, you look at the object you're drawing, for example, but you don't look at your paper or your utensil and you just draw it without lifting up your writing utensil. So it creates kind of this mystical, vaguely reminiscent of the object drawing and I thought that was perfect because it doesn't have to look perfect. I just didn't know what else I would do for the art. I was like, I what picture what I use. What what can really describe this? And uh, yeah, the line art came to me, and I based it off of an, a picture of me and my ex. And um, I did like I don't know ten pages of drawings, and this was the one where I was like, okay, they kind of look like faces, but they look cool, and they you know have a certain emotion to the faces and all of that. So it was, it was a lot of work, but I really loved, uh, you know, being able to make my art myself, especially because I have a limited skill there. <laughs> well, good choice. I loved it. And like I said, I did see the previous EP as well. Um, very, very good choices on those. I enjoyed a lot. Thank you. Uh, we're going to start wrapping up here, Kiso. So I want to talk about yeah. the last song. We're going to play out with Happily Ever After. Talk about this one. I mean, it does have that upbeat. It's kind of can feel. I love the words. There's a naughty version and a nice version, which I like. Yes. Uh, talk <laughs> about the song a little bit and uh, what what my guests are going to be listening to here. Yeah. So, Happily Ever After, first song I released off of Sweet Nothing, it's the Denial Stage of Grief, which I state very clearly in the beginning of the song. I say I've accepted denial because it was my only way of kind of coping with the breakup was pretending it wasn't happening, even though I knew it was happening. But, um, yeah, that's the one where I was writing it on my guitar, and I was like, you know, this, I don't usually write, like, a pop hit style song. I was like, this has the potential. So 
I was really happy to work with um, Kyle Patrick, and you know we workshopped it for a couple of months, and it was really my breakthrough song. It was the first time I got covered by Billboard Pride and all these other press outlets, and got introduced to so many musicians, and uh, I think it helped me be see as, seen as more of a serious artist. So it's a special song to me in a lot of ways. And then my first that I wrote on the EP, it was uh, my first kind of hit, and it's just. Uh, it's also the only one I have a music video for, um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's uh, very uh, it's very real, very raw, and very um, fun. Surprisingly, so <laughs> I hope y'all like it. It is great. I absolutely love it. Talk about where you see your journey going from now. You get, as like you said, you're getting ready to start a new season of Quarantine. So you're featuring other artists. Are, are you being inspired to write through all this? Are you still writing constantly, or where do you see your next album coming from? Yeah, I actually, um, luckily, I, I happen to have a few collabs planned. So I have something coming next month, and the month after that, and the month after that. So I kind of like, <laughs> have collab singles coming while I, you know, start writing more stuff because I've just kind of been like. With quarantine and all the other things, my brain has just been, like, overloaded. I haven't really written during quarantine at all, um, right. except for, like, one or two songs. So, you know, I'm going to release this, you know, kind of promote it, release these new collabs that are all, like, very different and fun. And uh, then in the top of the year, I'll probably have some, some new solo stuff. And I'm going to uh, film a video for He Didn't Want Me. So there's actually quite a lot on the docket. Um, so yeah, stay tuned, y'all. Nice. What is your writing style? Do you do you go mostly towards lyrics and then music, or music and then lyrics, or is it really just a truly mix depending on the song? It's mixed for sure. With this EP, I kind of picked up my guitar and just like strummed along to the few chords I knew, and and just kind of freestyled a lot of the songs on the EP on Sweet Nothing. Uh, but before that, it was a lot more of um, me sitting down and writing out words or writing out feelings and um, kind of coming up with something later or kind of like just humming a melody to myself and then building production around it. Um, my The only song that I've written for will hopefully be released is one that I wrote. Like I kind of wrote it. I like to write a poem and then I'll like make them fit a song structure later and just kind of get oh, nice. everything out on the paper and edit it. Um, yeah, and then I, I feel more free that way to kind of like change it up versus falling in love with a certain melody or certain structure because otherwise I'll get like hyper focused on on that and I won't be flexible. Gotcha. Flexibility is so important. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like it. Well, I got to tell you, Kisos, I truly enjoyed the EP. I felt like I was going through the emotions with you. Uh, we got to start wrapping up. Let all my listeners yes. know where they can find this amazing music and where they can follow you on social media, my friend, and especially where they can find Quarantine. Yes. Thank you so much, Scott, for having me. Um, my name is Kisos, K-I-S-O-S, on all of the streaming services. And if you want to find me on social media, my name is at It's Kisos, I-T-S-K-I-S-O-S. And that's the same thing for Twitch, where we host Quarantine every Sunday, but starting in August, where it's uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time on Sundays at twitch.tv slash itskisos, I-T-S-A-S-O-S. Fantastic. Stay on the line for my friend. 
Guys, we are going to play out with the aforementioned Happily Ever After by our special guest, Kisos, here. Thank you so much, Kisos. You've been listening to the Left of Straight Show. We'll be back after this with a brand-new interview tonight. You're listening to the Left of Straight Show on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Refuse to believe you don't want me, it saves me, but it kills me inside. Cause hope is deadly when the situation's hopeless, but I've accepted denial. It's fucked up, but you're my motivation. We'll grow up and then you'll see what you're missing. You'll come home and then you'll look at me. We realize what went wrong Can we move on now, please? Yeah. Your negativity My codependency Now that we realize what went wrong Can we move on now, please? Happily, yeah Refuse to believe That this new guy found Is better than me Is more than a fling And the possibility That he's your new Haunting my dreams Why isn't it me? It's fucked up But you're my motivation We'll grow up And then you'll see what you're missing You'll come home And then you'll look at me The way you used to The way I want you I killed myself for you You killed yourself for me Now that we realize what went wrong Can we move on now please? Now that we realize what went wrong, can we move on happily? I've got to figure out all my shit first, and hopefully you're doing the same. Once we've had our time to recover, I want to try this with you again. It's fucked up, but you're my motivation. We'll grow up and then you'll see what you're missing. You'll come home And then you'll look at me The way you used to The way I want you I killed myself for you You killed yourself for me Now that we realize what went wrong Can we move on happily? Yeah, your negativity My codependency Now that we realize what went wrong Can we move on happily?
I'm getting some serious audio issue, guys. If you could, oh, there we go. Man, I had some serious audio issues. I don't know what the heck it was that happened with the last song, too. All right, you guys, I apologize for that. I don't know what that was. I will edit that out for iHeartRadio and everybody. Guys, we are back. Thanks so much to Kethos for coming on today. Uh, great interview. And he has a, this album is really good. Like I said, we talked about it briefly, but it does hit on all of the five stages of grief. Each song kind of works its way towards uh, bargaining, denial, anger, depression, acceptance. It's really a great concept of an album put together really well. So check out Kisos. It's on Spotify and all those great things. We're going to go on now to my next guest, who I interviewed just the other day, last week, at the end of last week. She is a fantastic singer-songwriter herself. As I said, she used to live not too far from me here in West Virginia, and has been out in L.A. now for a few years, um, has an amazing, clear singing voice and a beautiful laugh. I love making her laugh during the interview because she has such a great laugh. So let's go ahead and play out one of her songs. And when I come back, I'll be talking to the lovely and talented Miss Rhett Madison. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Hey. 
friends, we are back, and that was Pin Up Daddy by my next guest. She was recommended to me by our new friend, Travis Howard, who you may remember from last week's Musical Monday episode. And after listening to her music, I really wanted to have her on the show. She's recently praised by Rolling Stone magazine for, quote, song you need to know, unquote. According to the magazine for her song, Shame is a River, she was recently compared to Phoebe Bridgers and Julian Baker in the same article as one of the new school troubadours that are claim-worthy right now. She's originally from up the freeway here in beautiful downtown West Virginia and currently working and living in L.A. Her newest song is Flea, and I can't wait to find out a little more about this amazing young artist. So please welcome to the show for the very first time, Miss Rhett Madison. Rhett, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I appreciate you calling in. Thank you very much for doing so. I appreciate it. How are you holding up? Are you ready to start cooking again? Or are you a Postmate person now that we're locked down one more time? <laughs> oh, well, I am I'm definitely a Postmate person, but I live um, with my partner who happens to be an incredible cook. <laughs> So nice. Not, but yeah, I'm lucky. My partner will cook like a beautiful dinner, and then on my nights, I'll either make a pasta that's like edible. It's not great, but like it's there, or I'll post it for it. <laughs> I like it. Very good. You got to get by <laughs> as you can. It's always nice. You know, you're gonna have at least three or four good meals a night, right? A week, and then uh, yeah. whatever happens, happens. I like yeah. it. That's awesome. Well, welcome to the show. Since it's your first time, I want to start with a little bit of background. As I teased, uh, I'm in Northeast Ohio here. You were brought up in West Virginia. Tell me about that area you grew up and what kind of a kid were you? Yeah, so I grew up in a town called Clarksburg, West Virginia. And um, yeah, it was it's a smaller city. I think the population is only like 16,000 people. So most everybody, mm. you know, knows each other. It was interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I was same town was pretty Catholic, and I, I went to the um, Catholic church quite a lot as a young kid. Sunday school was eventually confirmed in the church, but I also was queer and um, wasn't really out at all until I was like maybe seventeen or eighteen. I started coming to terms with my identity and mm. writing about it in music and telling my family and friends. So it, it was a hard experience at times because I was living in an environment. Um, where sometimes, unfortunately, I would hear adults be quite homophobic, um, be it at church right. or in school system. Yeah, but I still have um, some family and some beautiful friends that were so supportive of me and always have been supportive of me that I'm still very close with and I love endlessly. Um, so, yeah, there's some really beautiful things about West Virginia. I mean, it's one. I feel like it's one of the most beautiful states ever. It's so gorgeous, and I'm lucky to have people there that I still love today. It shaped me a lot. Oh, of that's fantastic. Very cool. And you started um, writing and singing relatively young, like 12 years old. That's kind of got to be an experience. Most people, songwriters or something, come from their own experiences. And as I'm sure you were kind of developing your queerness and everything, kind of questioning it, that had to be hard not to be able to talk about it all, I guess. Did you feel like you had to yeah. hold a lot in? You know, it was interesting. I think um, I, I wasn't really aware fully yet that I was queer maybe at age 12 like I think it all kind of started happening for me like there was definitely signs like I look back now and I'm like oh my goodness I can't believe I didn't realize like all of these behaviors were trying <laughs> to point me to <laughs> to my truth right um you know 
know, but when I was 12, I don't think I fully had the awareness, that awareness of myself just yet. But, you know, songwriting, um, I started writing at 12 because it was just, it was very therapeutic for me. And it was kind of like writing in a diary almost. Songs Mm. weren't good. (laughs) Uh, They were, you know, they were rough. (laughs) Um, But I was, again, that, that was another, you know, lovely benefit. I will say of that town is because I also had found music teachers in that small community that were just really supportive of me wanting to write music and gave me opportunities to perform at um, like local choir concerts, or I always would try to um, enter like the local county fair talent shows. So I, I'm grateful for that experience too, I would say um, is a positive of growing up in that community in West Virginia that luckily I, um, you know, ended up crossing paths with just really supportive and incredible teachers that um, really encouraged me from a young age to keep making art. And I, I don't know, I feel lucky that I had that happen in my life as well. Mm, that's amazing. I love that. And talk about your coming out story, but you said you kind of came out to yourself around 17 or 18. When do you feel like you kind of first found your LGBTQ tribe? Was that in college when you went to Michigan or when did you kind of start finding others in the community to reach out to? Yeah, I um I went to a boarding school in in Michigan from ages 16 to 18 called Interlochen and that that academy just changed my life in such a positive way. I met people that again just were so loving <laughs> and um mm-hmm. supportive the the teachers and the friends that I made and I just felt like no matter um who I discovered myself to be that I was going to be embraced and accepted um completely which you know again is so important and formative to have happen you know especially as a teenager um and I'm again very grateful for that experience so yeah it was towards the end um of my time at boarding school you know I was starting to write about queerness or or my experience um being Mm -hmm. queer and probably wasn't until I got to college that I started to like very much be open about my identity and I just luckily ended up within like the first week of college falling into this friend group um, that are honestly still now some of my best friends in Los Angeles and they were also you know either a little bit more confident in their identities at the point that I met them or also kind of coming into them to themselves um, or to themselves and yeah just through their friendship I really was able to uh, yeah just discover more about myself and um, really and really embrace my identity. That's awesome. I, I love when we can create our own family that way and kind of get together. And then college is so important for that too, because a lot of people don't have that chance. And if you have a chance right. to get away, that's kind of awesome. Right. And is that what brought you to LA was college or how'd you get to LA? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, college brought me to Los Angeles. Um, I studied music for two years at USC, the Thornton School of Music, but I was not a great college student. I ended up, you know, skipping a lot of classes because I wanted to go gig in Los Angeles. And so I got to a point where I think I, yeah, it was, it was not good. I did like a year and a half full time as a college student. And I realized that while I still was able to like do well in my performance-based classes, because that's what I'm, you know, what I was majoring in college for. Um, I really struggled with, like, the general education classes or anything where you had to, like, write an essay with a thesis, since a lot of my education background was in more, like, public kind of rural schools in West Virginia. 
I was a little bit behind, um, not that I'm not a smart person, but I was a little bit behind um, some of my peers at some of these institutions who had just been coming from, like, mm. private schools their entire lives or maybe bigger cities. Um, right. Yeah, so eventually I just was like, I don't want my family to put money into something if I can just leave and continue to do what I'm doing. So I, I dropped there out go. probably by the time I was 20. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially when you you have that passion inside you, and you know that making art's what you want to do. You can only learn so much theory, right? I mean, you can right. take and so I, much classes. Right, and I I mean, again, I was I I you know, by age eighteen, I didn't realize just yet how I wanted to work in music. So I think going to college again, I was so incredibly lucky to have that opportunity, and um, it did teach me a lot. Um, you know, just even meeting my friends that I'd met there, those friendships changed me as well so much as a person. So I don't regret it at all. I just realized maybe I was going to learn more or be mentored more outside of an institution than just in the scene. Right. understand. Very well said. Well, talk to me about your first year or so in L.A. Because I always like to talk about people going to L.A. since I'm from there. It's a tough city to get to know, especially coming from back east here. And USC, you think, oh, I'm going to USC to school. And it's right in the middle of the worst area of town, pretty much, if you don't know the area at all. And what was your what was your experience getting to L.A.? Did you fall in love with it right away? Or did you kind of take your time to get used to it? Um, I think I – well, I don't know how to drive. <laughs> And I didn't have a car. <laughs> so that kind of limited, um, you know, some of my access to the, you know, to so many incredible parts of L.A. And once I started making friends with people who had a license <laughs> and grew up in Los Angeles, they showed me so many beautiful pockets of L.A. that I wasn't even aware of. Um, and I, I just fell in go. love with the city. But it took me probably six months. <laughs> Let's jump into the music here. What was some of your earlier inspirations of music and kind of what kind of vibe were you catching early on? A lot of the music that I look up to and have really been inspired by um, just happens to be some music that my mom would used to play for me as a kid. Um, we would listen to a lot of music in the car um, when we would make, you know, road trips from where I grew up in West Virginia to visit my grandmother in a rural coal mining town in Pennsylvania. And um, we would listen to a lot of Fleetwood Mac and Cat Stevens and Prince. Those are probably some of the most influ influential musicians to my music, I would say, early on. And then as I got older, I started really falling in love with, um, like, Carol King's music and Joni Mitchell and Stevie mm. Wonder and just so many, so many incredible, um, you know, songwriters and musicians. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's always such a treasure trove of, of music that I feel like I, I still have yet to discover. Um, but, yeah, I feel like a lot of music that was made before I was born has really been a huge influence on me. Um, not to say I love music that's also being made now, but I guess if I had to trace, like, what are my influences, it's, it's probably mostly music that predates my, my birth. Right, right. That makes sense. No, I love that. And you have that sound. I mean, you have such a soulful sound and I love the stripped down stuff. I mean, like I said, I was listening to all of your work there. Um, Good Intentions, probably one of my favorite songs. It's so stripped down, and you are amazing. It's just your voice is fantastic. So I really oh, enjoyed <laughs> kind of getting to learn it. Talk about, now you talked about your mom a little bit, and uh, a lot of your songs are based on that because it wasn't really a sad, it was kind of a sad situation. Talk about what you're comfortable sharing with uh, my listeners, and kind of how that informed your music. They come from a very personal place. I I do write a lot about my life. Um, 
the one of the more recent releases, uh, Shame is a River, that is a song that I wrote about both my mom and I's own experiences with, um, you know, just struggling with mental health or, you know, loving somebody with an addiction. And um, I kind of wrote that song, even though it's coming from my perspective, I intertwined both my mom and I's separate experiences together um, to become one narrative for that song. Gotcha. Okay, great. And talk about how you write songs. Are you more of a lyric person first? Does the melody come to you first or just kind of depends on how the song is? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, with writing every song, um, it's a bit of a different experience, but I have noticed a trend where I might feel an intense emotion about a situation in my life, but not yet have the words to properly articulate like why I am so emotional about whatever, whatever thing is happening. So often I will first like just sing or like sing, scream (laughs) um, melodies (laughs) and I won't really be making like, I won't really be singing words necessarily. I'll just be like, ah, like whatever that is, like just odds or, you know, maybe vowel sounds. Right. Just to connect to the emotion that I'm feeling and get kind of deeper into it. And then after I feel like I'm I'm finding a melody that is like lining up with whatever scene I'm seeing in my head. Then I can start to write lyrics about that. But I feel like it usually starts from a very emotional place for me. Um, and I feel like the easiest way for me to get my emotions out and like record them is usually, you know, by by singing and playing an instrument first, and then I go back and find the words to properly like articulate what I'm what I'm trying to express. <laughs> sure, sure. And talk about do you play? I mean, the guitar, there's a lot of guitar features. There's a piano feature, and I love the piano and canvas. Do you play all of your own instrumentations as well? Well, it varies from uh, track to track. So canvas, I played the piano and sang it because it was just like a live take. Um, I usually play guitar, like the, I'm trying to think of how to say it, like for, like for good intentions that maybe you heard on SoundCloud, that's me singing and playing guitar. But once I do more like fleshed out production stuff, like, Fleas or Pin Up Daddy, I'll be playing the main, like, electric guitar lines. Um, so for Fleas, like, the first kind of, like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, like, that guitar line, that's me, and I play that throughout the song. But then um, the producer that I'm working with, uh, Theo Katzman, um, he'll be playing the drum set. He'll be playing um, maybe additional guitar lines. Uh, Joe Dart, for most of those tracks, will be on bass. Uh, for Pin Up Daddy, my friend Brian Jones is on bass, not Joe. Um or Lee Pardini, who's an incredible piano player. He plays um, the keys on um, on all of my album that's going to be released in the fall, except for, like, one or two songs where I'm singing and, like, playing the, you know, the piano voicings um, for those. Right. But, yeah, I play some of the instruments, but, like, a lot of the other um, instrumentation is played by either my producer, Theo Katzman, or some of our um, friends who are session, session musicians um, during the recording process. That's awesome. And I thought that Theo was going to be producing your album and you were actually supposed to go on tour with him later this year. How did you guys meet and what is that working relationship like? Yeah, Theo and I, um, so while I was in the process of skipping classes and dropping out, um, (laughs) (laughs) I was playing a lot of writers nights in Los Angeles, a lot of local writers nights. And um, I was playing uh, writers round at um, Hotel Cafe and I think I was 19 at the time, and Theo just happened to be, like, I think closing the writer's night that evening um, and playing a few songs. 
And luckily, he happened to be there early enough to catch, you know, my set. We met, and he was very kind. He, I asked him, like, hey, like, I, I can't actually stay tonight for your set. I have to go back to a band practice for college. Um, but, like, send me a link to your SoundCloud. Like, I t- I'll totally check out your music. Not realizing um, that he was in one of my favorite bands at the time, Wolfpack. <laughs> um, oh, that's I just, funny. I didn't connect the face uh, to all the songs that I had been, like, jamming out to in college. Um, and then he was like, hey, I'm in this band. And I was like, oh, my God, you're incredible. I love your voice. <laughs> Um, I've heard you sing. (laughs) I just, I didn't put it together that this is, you know, that this is who I'm talking to. I'm so sorry. But anyway, we, we would meet up for coffee sometimes, kind of like a mentor moment. Um, and he's just been supportive as I've continued to write and, you know, um, gotten older and we eventually were like, Hey, let's make a record together. And we wanted to collaborate and it just lined up to be, uh, to be happening now. And, um, we were lucky enough before everything shut down that we were able to tour from like January to mid-March. So we did like 30, over 30 shows um, throughout the U S and one in Canada. Um, And that was like my first extended tour where I was like playing my own music. Um, And it was a really great learning experience. I felt like it helped me grow a lot. And I just, you know, I wouldn't have been able to have that opportunity to, um, to play the music, you know, in front of that many people, if it weren't for, you know, Sia's generosity and friendship for, you know, taking, taking me out on the road. I love that. What do you think of touring? Did you, do you kind of like it out there? I mean, this is something that independent artists especially have to do a lot of, but anyone anymore. Did you like going on the road? Yeah, I've, I've been really lucky that the few tours that I've done um, throughout, like, you know, 2019 and 2020, um, you know, were with people I really enjoy, uh, musicians I really admire, um, and we were lucky enough, I guess the tours again that I've been on, I was lucky enough because I'm either a soloist or I'm singing for like a cover band or whatnot. I mean, we're able to travel in a sprinter van, so there's a bit more room. Um, I've done like the very DIY, like let's get in the Prius and play sports <laughs> row and house parties. And it's really hard. I, I did that um, also while I should have been in class, probably in college. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was definitely really intense. <laughs> um, but that's, that's the kind of stuff that I think just makes you a, a stronger artist and a better musician by the end of the day. Cause by the time I was able to, you know, be able to tour in some, in some larger venues, again, as a support act for, for Theo this past year, um, I felt comfortable on stage and, um, just felt excited and grateful to like be in a sprinter van and not a Prius for eight hours. <laughs> um, right. I bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's definitely, it's definitely, um, I think that tour also taught me a lot more about how I can, like, be better about managing my mental health while on the road. The other tours I'd been on were only, like, two weeks at a time. Um, mm. This one was much longer. So there's a lot of time that you're, like, looking out a van window and, like, really alone with your thoughts. Um, <laughs> and if you need to work on not having as many mean thoughts about yourself, um, it can be quite a challenge. So I've definitely learned oh, that no. it's important for me to like stay in touch with the therapist while on the road. And I'm, I'm again, I'm grateful to have those lessons. And I feel like by the next time I go on tour, one, I'll just be excited because I'll be singing live again, which it probably won't happen for a while. Uh, but when that right. does happen, I think there'll be a level of being quite excited. Um, and then the, you know, I'll be better prepared just in, and knowing what I need to do to, to just take care of myself in that situation. 
Right. No, that, that's great. You need to take care of yourself first so you can uh, make that art. I love that, that you're conscious of that. Talk about this new experience during quarantine of all the Zooms and the, the live singing on face, uh, Facebook and Instagram. It's very one-sided. You don't really hear the feedback of the audience, which is very hard for an artist, I would imagine. Is it something that you would like to do? Or what are your thoughts of kind of this new normal we've turned into for a little bit here? I mean, I think overall my favorite type of performance is live with people in the room. <laughs> I think <laughs> live streams, it showed me that I am definitely a person that finds my purpose and finds a lot of enjoyment in sharing a very unique, you know, one-time experience with an audience in a club. Um, I think that's what brings me the most joy. But yeah, the live streams and the Zooms have been interesting. I mean, on one hand, I'm extremely, you know, again, grateful that I'm still able to sing for people and feel like I can connect to music and connect to, to purpose by uh, performing for people who just, you know, may be hanging out at home. I really require other people to kind of do sure. banter yeah. when I'm on stage as a soloist and touring. So when you're doing a live stream, you know, especially like on Instagram or Facebook, you can't hear <laughs> <laughs> or like if you're wanting to tell a joke like no one's laughing so I'm I just get really awkward um but luckily my partner lives with me so for some of the live streams and this might even be more pathetic but they'll like they'll want to watch because like we're bored at home so they'll be like yeah I'll watch you yodel for 30 minutes on Instagram so they'll like sit in front of me <laughs> and like sometimes clap between songs but then I'm like oh my god is this even more sad because it's just like one sad you know clap in the distance um, That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely. Oh my gosh. Uh, I I obviously I love performing live way more, but um, right. I've I've learned that I'm quite awkward without an audience on the other side um, <laughs> of the stage. But I'm working on it. I'm learning. There you go. It's it's a difficult road for everyone. I mean, we got everyone doing it now. We have chefs doing it. We have comedians doing it. I mean, everyone's fitness people are doing it now. So. Everyone's right. learning the game a little bit, but it's especially as an artist who who gets that feedback and gets that energy from the crowd, I can imagine it's got to be very, very hard. Well, let's talk yeah. about the album experience for you. I mean, as you know, I mean, you're relatively young, but you've seen probably the music industry change just in the few short years you've been doing this from going from individual streamings to albums to back and forth again and an album for especially with your caliber with these songs having such great meaning to them an album really brings together a cohesive thought are you enjoying putting an album together as opposed to doing the individual singles because i know you kind of have to do both now what is your preferred way of releasing music though if you had your druthers yeah i think again i'm still i feel like pretty new to um releasing music at least on Spotify but I mean I, I enjoy putting out like a few singles I think to lead up to this first project because I um I want some songs maybe to have their own little moment to shine but yeah right. I think I'm more I, I I feel like it's strategic to put out a lot of singles because then each song has a chance at getting like playlisted and um really treasured by an audience but I think I am you know maybe in in kind of old school where I really like an album um, start to finish. And I really like, yeah, the entire like theme, or not necessarily like it has to be on uh, one certain theme, but I like just knowing like, Hey, this is a body of work that I've made from, you know, 2017 to it'll finally be released in 2020. This is like a, a portrait of, um, or a snapshot of 
what I was going through during those years. And I'm really excited for, you know, just to have that kind of be its own collective work. And I don't even know if that's the right words I want to use. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I, I think I'm very much into into albums, and I'm really excited to release this album because I already have a lot of songs uh, written for the, the album I want to follow it with, which I think will be more focused on um, grief and um, losing my mother, and but also falling in love with my partner all in the same year. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to what's next, but I am excited to finally give songs from 2017 and 2018 um, to to the world and then move on to work on something new for myself. Oh, that sounds amazing. going to have a, a relatively quick follow-up. I like that. And when do you guys <laughs> think you're going to be able to release that this year? Are you looking for the fall or more winter or when do you think you're going to – you're kind of waiting for a window with what's happening in the world or are you just going to let it go when it's ready? Yeah, I think ideally I'd love to put it out in the fall, mostly because um, I think, you know, for myself as an artist, until I can get this album done, I feel like I'm like I'm just very concerned about when it will be finished. I just want it to be done <laughs> and released <laughs> um, so that I can, you know, start working on the next thing. I think, uh, and I, maybe maybe there are other artists like this, but I think artists are always a little bit ahead just because we're act- we're making the art for ourselves. We're a little bit ahead of maybe where our audience is at in terms of like the songs I'm going to release this fall will probably be new to the small audience that I have. But to me, I'm like, Oh, I wrote this like two years ago. I, I need, I want to move on to what I'm thinking now. Um, so I feel like I'm maybe somebody who's a little impatient and just kind of wants it to be out there so that I can, again, I can just work on, work on what I've been holding on to even for a year at this point. Gotcha. No, I love that. I can't wait to hear what new music you have because it sounds like, Lots of emotions going to be pulling that together as well. That is terrific. Um, talk about for a second, um, if you had the chance to have someone else write a song for you and you had the chance to write a song for someone else, who would you like to write for you and who would you like to write for? Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, that's such a good question. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just blown away. Um you know, I'm a really big fan of Casey Musgraves. Mm. So if I had an opportunity to maybe co-write with her, like we co-write a song for my album and then we co-write a song for her album, that would probably be a dream come true. I just love her songwriting, especially what she did on Golden Hour. Yeah, I think that's my answer for both. I just want to collaborate with Casey Musgraves. <laughs> that is a, a good choice. I like that a lot. Very, very cool. All right. Well, we're going to start wrapping it down here. Let's talk about Flee, the newest song out now. Tell me um, how that came to you and uh, what it's about. Yeah, so Flee's is basically, I wrote that while I was, um, this was probably the year after I dropped out of college and I was working at a, a coffee shop. I was still living near the university, but I was working at a coffee shop off campus. And I definitely was living the artist lifestyle with like the mattress on my floor um, <laughs> and being like, what am I doing in LA? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I was sitting in my apartment one day, probably after a shift and, um, I don't know. I just, it just kind of, I, it's funny because I didn't even really have, uh, like a relationship at the time, but I also was in a period of time where I felt like I didn't want to be in a relationship, even though I wasn't even dating that many people. (laughs) 
like I wasn't like on the market like going on a lot of dates either I was just like working a lot and like sleeping a lot but anyway there was I think I just had this night where I was like I don't want anyone to hold me back uh I don't know and so I kind of like just kind of leaned into um this idea you know just about having uh commitment issues um, but using the imagery of dogs to convey that message. And so that's how the song was born. Um, it probably seemed on stage, like I really, like when I sing that song, maybe people think like, oh man, she must like date around and like can't settle down. It's like, <laughs> I was having nobody call me up. <laughs> that's I was so funny. No my partner's my first real relationship. And that happened like two years after I wrote that song. But I just think I was like feeling angsty. And so I wrote that. <laughs> There you go. But it had beautiful little corgis in it. It was a gorgeous video. I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's my partner edited that. My partner Seth made the um made the visualizer for that song. Oh nice. That's awesome. That's always great to have a collab right there in the house. I like that. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, very, very good. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to you, Rhett. Let all my listeners know where they can find you on social media and find some of your great music. Oh, yeah. So um, thank you so much for having me again. This has been such a pleasure. And um, if people are interested in following me on Instagram, I'm just at Rhett Madison, um, R-E-T-T-M-A-D-I-S-O-N. And then, yeah, I'm Rhett Madison on Spotify. Um, Same thing, just R-E-T-T-M-A-D-I-S-O-N. And, um, yeah, that's my social handle pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, if you type that in on YouTube, it'll all come up. I am absolutely in love with your voice, my friend. Thanks so much for being on the show. And you have to come back on when the album drops. That would be amazing. I would love to. That would be so fun. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to play out to please. And when I come back, we'll be uh, talking to another guest. You'll see the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
All right, you guys, we are back. That was Rhett Madison. Good show tonight, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. A big shout out to all of our guests. Of course, Zach Day, our special correspondent with his Monday Music Minute. Artist Kisos, you need to check out his Queeratune streaming. He gives 10 fantastic new indie LGBTQ plus artists a listen every other week. The next season starts in October, or excuse me, August. And Rhett Madison from California. Love it, you survived the night there in the studio. You doing okay? Yeah, it's always fun. There you go. You did a fantastic job, as always. Um, guys, you can follow us on social media. You can follow myself. It's at Left of Straight on Twitter and Instagram, always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. It's the Left of Straight show on Facebook, and my personal profile is Scott Fullerton. Uh, Lovey, where can they find you guys on social, the interns? We are online at Left of Straight Radio, also with the number eight in the street. There you go. Twitter, Instagram, check that out. They've been making some killer videos. Are you surviving making videos? You guys are video crazy lately. Is that fun for you or is that tough stuff? It's a little bit of both, but I kind of enjoy it once I finally find an idea of what direction I'm heading in. There you go. You guys have been killing it. Well, that pretty much wraps up Music Monday. Are you musically inclined? Are you a karaoke girl, lovey? I want to so bad. I haven't, like, actually ventured out into doing it because I'm a horrible singer, but I still love music (laughs) enough to want to try. What would be your go-to karaoke song if you had one you wanted to try out first? Um, No Scrubs TLC, for sure. I've already thought about Mm. it so much. Nice. Good choice. I like it. All right, well, on that note, we're going to wrap it up, guys and gals. We'll be here the rest of the week. Monday through Friday, we're here 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time. So check us out the rest of the week here. Tomorrow, we'll be back with a brand new special correspondent. I'm excited to welcome to the show David Reddish. We had an interview with him a month or so ago. He is actually the entertainment editor for Queerty.com, that's Q-U-E-E-R-T-Y.com. They are an aggregate of all sorts of LGBTQ news. You need to check them out. It's where I get a lot of my stuff from Host Talk. But David is going to be our new uh, entertainment special correspondent, going to be here every other Tuesday night, letting us know what's come across his desk at Queerty and what's going on, uh, things he wants to talk about. And then after David tomorrow, we're going to welcome back to the show our very good friend, Stan Zimmerman. Of course, Stan has been on many times. I think he is tied for the most appearances on the Left of Straight show. But Stan is an amazing writer and director. He has written for such things as The Golden Girls, The Gilmore Girls, Roseanne, all the Brady Bunch movies that were at your theater, and so much more great things. He's directed some great people. He's going to have a show this Saturday he's directing with Wendy Malick. If you don't know who she is, she was on Hot in Cleveland and a couple other great shows. Uh, Amazing kind of stuff. So he'll be on to talk about that tomorrow. And then in the second hour, we're going to talk to success coach and successful entrepreneur Harry Lopez. 
He is a 30-year-old wonder kid who is just a great personal trainer, personal coach. He teaches you how to make money on the Internet. He teaches you how to be a better person. And a great conversation with Harry. So great show all around tomorrow. We look forward to seeing you all there. Lovey, thanks so much for all your hard work tonight. You did fantastic. Thanks. It's always a pleasure. All right, you guys. We listen to Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Oh, we're going to play out. I forgot. We're playing out with a song tonight. We're going to play out to our good friend, Unsung Lily, with my favorite stripped-down rendition of Maniac. Uh, it's just a fantastic movie. So we're going to play Maniac by Unsung Lily. We'll see you tomorrow night, guys. Bye-bye. Just a steel town girl on a Saturday night Looking for the fight of a life In a real-time world, no one sees her at all They all say she's crazy Locking rhythms to the beat of her heart Changing movement into the light She is dancing to the danger zone When the dancer becomes a dance you can cut you like a knife If a gift becomes a fire On a wire between will and what will be She's a maniac, maniac on the floor And she's dancing like she never danced before She's a maniac
She's a man. 